0: To another episode of Pocket Law Talks. This is your host, Brad Banks. Over at the Controls as Normal is Devin Stepdaddy. Welcome. Don't don't call me that. Don't <laughs> I'm not a stepdad. I'm not a dad, and I will
1: never be ever. I'm hoping I'm infertile.
0: Uh, we're gonna hit a different whole different issue than we've touched on in, in recent times. Uh gonna take a little bit of a look at the laws surrounding marijuana. Obviously, as you all know, the Countries sort of divided all over the place on what's legal, what's not legal, what's uh, uh, amounts you can carry, what amounts you can't carry, and literally you drive from Indiana to Illinois, Indiana to Michigan, Indiana to uh, Ohio. The law is different in every place. You don't even
1: have to drive that far. You can drive from Marion County to Hamilton County, and you know, in Marion County, they're. Well, not that's how to... they're
0: enforced. The law is not different. So well, yeah, enforced. the law
1: is not different, but. Uh, you know, they said that they're not going to prosecute anything under an ounce in Marion County, but you go to Hamilton County and they're going to ring your ass up. Like they're, they're going to get you for that. So it's really crazy how our marijuana laws work, especially federally as well. A lot of stuff is just based on like a quote unquote promise, more of like a memorandum, but uh, like, you know, one day uh, our president could say that they're going to prosecute the federal marijuana laws and all of these dispensaries will be raided. And I imagine that if we ever get hard up for money, that's exactly what's gonna happen because that would be a cash cow for the government.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, and we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, the, what what's the current laws of, of marijuana in, in Indiana nationally, all those kind of things. Also gonna look at, you know, everybody knows there's what they're labeling themselves as uh, CBD stores with a marijuana leaf in their logo. Uh, there's been workarounds that are going on. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, too, and how all of these um, different things are interacting with the law and how well, it could be interpreted how the law is being enforced. Those kind of things are all different in, in different places and, and within the state of, of Indiana. So first, let's take a look at that, a little bit at what is the current law as it sits in Indiana. Uh, it's not legal in Indiana in, in no form. Marijuana is not legal in any form. Uh, if you possess less than 30 grams in Indiana, it's a Class B misdemeanor. Class B misdemeanors are considered low-level offenses. Um, you know, you got A, B, C misdemeanors, B's right there in the middle. Carries a penalty of zero to 180 days in jail. That's the maximum penalty. But can honestly say in the um, uh, 23 years I've been an attorney, I can't remember the last time a simple possession of marijuana case got uh, any jail time. Uh, Oddly enough, something, in Devin, you probably don't know this, it's unique. Just probably eight years ago in Indiana, if you got, well, probably 12 years ago, if you got a possession of marijuana in Indiana, you also got a 180-day license suspension.
1: Like driving license? Yeah. You want to know what's something I just figured out yesterday, which is crazy? Uh, Did you know that, if you have a medical marijuana card for a state that is legal, you are not allowed to own firearms and you are not allowed to have a gun permit.
0: Really? Yeah, because uh, I was Thinking showing that it's dangerous to have be using marijuana and owning a firearm.
1: Well, so when you when you sign off on getting a firearm, you agree to never use any controlled substances. So by having a medical ah. marijuana card, you are basically saying that you are consistently using controlled substances. Ah, I didn't so. know that. I, uh, someone told me that when I showed them my medical marijuana card from California yesterday, and they were like, you know, you can't own guns with that. And I think that's crazy. And that so it's interesting. like the security guards and the police. Uh, of course, you know, they can still get a recreational. Nobody know. Right. But the benefit of having a medical marijuana card is that you can get higher uh, – THC percentages and you don't pay that forty percent tax. Right, it's treated as medicine. Exactly. So you know if you pay, if you spend hundred bucks, you're actually spending one hundred and forty. That's
0: obviously in a state that allows that.
1: Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, but it, it's crazy to think that in a state that allows it, because it's still federally legal and firearms are a, a lot of times regulated a lot by the federal government. Right. That you're like you will have your license taken from you and Your gun seized from you.
0: Well, just going back to license suspension. So you could be literally at a college party. Uh, they bust the party, pat you down. You have a little bit of weed in your pocket. 180 license suspension automatically it was required by law. How insane is that? That's it's, it's just crazy because that would never happen. I mean, I guess if you were caught
1: drinking and driving, but if you were just caught drinking, that would never happen. Right, that right. that's what I don't like is the
0: hypocrisy behind it. Uh, well, so Indiana eventually. Updated that law. Um, This has all happened happened during the time I've been an attorney. Uh, They then made it if you had possessed it in a vehicle. So there was at least a correlation for a while. So if you were caught with uh, marijuana and it was found in a vehicle, you get a six-month license suspension. You couldn't get specialized driving privileges or anything no like that. No drug test, no nothing to prove that it's not in your system? Yeah, just 100, automatically 180 license the, suspension. No fighting it? So no, So what ended up happening, we'd, we would have to negotiate to try to make it, say it wasn't found in the car, and then it was just a regular possession. So that that law sort of had a, a workaround. But when it originally was in place, you had to have a 180 license if you got a possession of marijuana. Then it transferred to, had to have the car. We would do the workaround of the car, and eventually it got eliminated altogether. When you get that 180 day license suspend, suspension, can you still qualify for an SDP, which is a specialized well, driving? Back privileges? then, it didn't even exist. Oh, really? No, there How was a new hardship hardship license back then, but it, <clears throat> it was extremely difficult to get. Almost never utilized. The specialized driving privileges probably came in to full fruition where you could get specialized driving privileges. I'd say. Ten to twelve years ago, so about the time they eliminated that suspension, is probably about the time they started implementing this. Um, but how silly! You could you, just because you had a marijuana, they would take your license away. It's probably so, why it costs more then, because <laughs> them dealers right, are going right. to lose their license, right? So, so you know, it just gives you a little flavor. It has morphed its uh, marijuana laws. At one point, it wasn't a misdemeanor; it's now a B misdemeanor. It can still now be an a misdemeanor. So, if you carry or possess more. Uh, then 30 grams, then that can make it a, a, an a misdemeanor. If that's just for simple possession. Now, what's interesting? The
1: reason why they th- say 30 grams and not 28 because an ounce is 28 grams.
0: Um, they they include the bag weight when they weigh it. Uh, so they're trying to give you a little bit of cushion there, right? Saying you're trying to trying to be under that amount and and not penalize you for the, the yeah that makes sense. But you know if. Somebody's off just a little bit. Yeah. If it's 31, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. And, and so you'll see it. You know, I mean, it's a misdemeanor. Still not that big of a deal. Bumps it up from a penalty range to zero to 365 days. Again, same sort of deal. Imagine Can't.
1: doing a year in jail and like losing your job and everything because you have an ounce of weed, which would like someone like my grandpa, that would last him like a day, two days maybe.
0: Well, and, and uh, the, um, uh, you know again i can't remember the last time i saw somebody get significant jail time on any misdemeanor a or b for a marijuana case um did you used to get like
1: a lot of a lot of offenses like this and have to represent a lot of people with just low level possession cases compared to now because now i feel like that never happens
0: oh no we still get a lot of marijuana cases outside of marion county but low level like low level possession low level really yeah. yeah i'd say there's definitely a there's definitely been a trend to um, if you've got personal use weed in, in, in even some of the, the outlying counties around Marion County, the cops will just ditch it um, and not necessarily ride a ticket for it. But I'd say um, we still see possession of marijuana charged uh, on, a, on a very regular basis outside of Marion County. Yeah, we're pretty lucky
1: because I I think it's been maybe anywhere between like two to four years ago. The Marion County Prosecutor's Office uh, had announced that it will no longer prosecute low-level marijuana possession offenses, which is basically what I said if you have less than an ounce. Typically what the cop will do is they will just take it from you or stomp it out on the side of the road or take it home to smoke themselves. And it's funny because when that first happened, I remember the sheriff's department being like livid over it. like they, they, They're they still upset. Yeah, they said like they will not follow those rules. They'll still arrest people for it. Now I feel like they kind of know it's a
0: waste of time. Well, they do know it's a waste of time. In the most recent prosecutor election, one of the things that um, the uh, FOP in Marion County uh, was highlighting was the lack of enforcement of the marijuana laws as one of the reasons they endorsed the opposing candidate. So... They're still not happy about it. It is— um, It's funny because Ryan Mears was
1: actually going to, like, cannabis events to drum up, like, support for him.
0: Well, sure. I mean, uh, anybody that's a regular marijuana user in, in Marion County obviously sees the benefit of not being having the threat of an arrest over him for personal use stuff. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's definitely—there's uh, two sides to that argument. I definitely am on the side of the camp where it's not that big a deal. Why why, why are we worried about personal use of marijuana?
1: Yeah, I hate seeing our officials be so, like, cautious with it when it should be common fucking sense.
0: Well, it, the flip side of it, though, is when you're an elected prosecutor, your, your job is to enforce the laws. The law is what it is, whether you like it or not. Uh, so there's, you know, people will attack him for saying, hey, you're not you're not— you're the prosecutor why well, you're not enforcing the law.
1: Right, but it'd be the same people who will say you have to obey the law where, you know, if it became where they can't own firearms or they can't do this or they can't do that due to not breaking any law themselves, they wouldn't, well, be, they put wouldn't it, be happy.
0: Well, I think the category of, like, obviously the cops are not out there busting everybody that does a public intoxication or minor consumption or jaywalking. I mean, you're just kind of exercising your discretion of what you're, you're enforcing. I think you can kind of put what Marion County has done with the marijuana law in that category. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, as it stands now with the current elected prosecutor in Marion County, if you personally use marijuana, uh, they're not going to file charges against you. So the police have basically stopped arresting people in Marion County for that. Outside of Marion County, I'd say... For low-level offenses. For low-level. That's yeah. right. right. So outside of Marion County, that's still not the case, and most, most counties are still... Uh, charging people marijuana. most of the time now they're writing it like as a ticket, and then you'll get summons into court. They're not actually arresting you and putting you in jail. That's some a few counties. like a citation. Yeah, it's still a criminal charge, though. You just get, oh uh, really? You get a, a ticket with a court date, but at the court date, you get a criminal charge instead of taking you to jail, making you bond out, all that kind of stuff. So there you know, slowly, but surely, how indiana and and the legislature has looked at the law has eased, but it's still not in any way. Um, uh, at the level that some of the states are where uh, the law has uh, been completely repealed or has been made certain grams is 100% legal, things of that nature. Uh, obviously, dealing marijuana is, is in a different category. Um, it, it, once you... Um, if you're caught dealing, it's an A misdemeanor to start out with. If you're in an amount that's... Uh, uh, or a felony to start, a level six felony, if you start out with, it can be bumped up to a level five felony. Um, if it, Let me restate that. If it's under 30 grams, it's a, misd- a misdemeanor. If it's over 30 grams, it can be a level six felony. If it's between 30 grams, um, about less than 10 pounds. If you get above 10 pounds, it can actually be a level five felony. What does that mean in Indiana? So the minor dealing charge can be an A misdemeanor um, Again, 0-365, zero to, zero to 365. minor dealing charges are almost, almost never even caught or filed because you're talking about people that are doing a hand-to-hand of, a, of, a, of a, a very small amount. Very frequently, the charges we see on dealers are level 6 felonies. They've got somewhere between 30 grams but less than 10 pounds. That's a very common charge that we see frequently. What does a level 6 felony mean? Level 6 felony carries 6 months to 2.5 years. And then the more serious uh, charge you can get on a dealing of marijuana, it can be a level five felony if you have over 10 pounds. Also something we see pretty frequently, I'd say that has increased quite a bit because obviously with the prevalence uh, or the increased use of marijuana, uh, obviously that creates a higher demand. You got more people out there doing it. So we definitely see quite a few people getting caught with larger amounts um, over 10 pounds and that results in a level five felony. Now, I will say, again, if it's a first offense um, and it's a level 6 range, you're probably going to be seeing mostly a probation-type deal. depends on the county you're into. Level 5 felonies, those are considered major felonies in Indiana. You'll start seeing more um, home detention, things of that nature, getting implemented. If you have any criminal history, some jail time starts to get um, um, involved at that point. Very, very, very common On first offense marijuanas, even if it's a low-level, a misdemeanor dealing charge, we'll see those kind of cases resolved in what's called a diversion. Diversion agreement means you got to sign a little contract to the prosecutor's office, promise not to get in any trouble for a period of time. could be six months to a year, typically. Um, As long as you stay out of trouble, then uh, maybe have to do some sort of drug treatment class and some community service as well is a possibility. Uh, but if you complete those things successfully, you stay out of trouble, don't get any other charges, they dismiss the case.
1: Now, what's what's really interesting is because if you have more than 10 pounds, it's a level five felony. And, you know, to to like your average smoker and even to people that don't smoke, 10 pounds sounds like a lot. But when you're starting to move up the chain, uh, it's it's really like the first step of like actually being kind of big. Um, You're still fairly small at that point. You're still a very small fish in the pond. And it's crazy to think because, you know, I've been out to dispensaries in Colorado and L.A. And, you know, they will have hundreds of pounds sitting on the back tables.
0: Sure. And so to. to well, you think about the. As it's become more and more legal, the people that are making corporations out of this. I mean, yeah.
1: Thousands of pounds. Well, even then, you don't have, Yeah, you don't even have to be a corporation. You just need one farmer. And, right. you know, if they have a couple acres, you can get a shitload load off of that. So it's crazy to think that, like, these amounts that people are handling every day on the other side of the country, over here, it's a life ruiner.
0: Major felony. Yeah. yeah. One that you can, quote-unquote, expunge, but it still stays on your record. Uh, you can't ever get it reduced to misdemeanor. Uh, Yeah, life-altering type stuff. Um, So the Level 5 felony is still pretty serious business here in Indiana, something that can really make, you know, getting money, buying cars, renting a house. Jobs. Jobs. Very, very difficult because, you know, uh, fortunately, or I guess unfortunately, the way corporate America, especially large corporate America, looks at things, um, so many of the major corporations will say if you have a felony, you don't even get an interview. You can't even get your foot in the door, right? So decline you, you instantly. Yeah, and when you get when you get saddled with a level five that you can't ever get reduced to a misdemeanor, that's tough. Now the level six felonies, marijuana, those can be reduced to misdemeanors. They can be fully expunged from your records. So it looks like you did it never happened. So they're but not until as then. 30. Life's still gonna be hell for you. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna have all those shortcomings that. that, that, that come with having those things on your record
1: and it really it really kind of it's i feel like it's a backwards ass way of doing it especially with something like marijuana like i can understand you don't want a heroin dealer or a pedophile or something living next to you but when you bust a dealer and then you make it impossible for them to get housing or jobs or at least any job worth having because sure they can go work at mcdonald's and even then a lot of like fast food places will decline you now you incentivize them to continue dealing
0: yeah it's 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 a complicated question because you can certainly understand, like if you're, especially if you're renting in a large apartment complex. Obviously, your other tenants that don't have any criminal history probably would prefer not to have neighbors who have criminal history. Right? Uh, I so, mean,
1: if I lived in an apartment, I would like it if my neighbor was a weed dealer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I understand in the marijuana arena that yeah, there's some. No, right, it's yeah, a if lot, it's heroin or a pedophile you know, yeah, or, a or somebody that robs. Burglarizes people, but you know. It's, it's
1: back. It goes back to the topic of common sense that doesn't seem to exist. Well, in Well, but that's
0: the problem with large corporations. They, it's easier to create a bright line rule than to create an area of gray and give people discretion, right? So if you're running a corporation, you've got apartment complexes all over the country. It's way easier just to say if somebody has a felony, they're out. We're not going to rent to them. And then it takes out it takes out everybody. But you know, it's crazy in how it's, it it. it, it uh, can imply or how it can affect somebody, you know, for something that is completely, completely legal to do in Colorado or California or Michigan, uh, the same thing could keep somebody from being able to rent a regular apartment here in Indiana. You know, that's the part where it's crazy. There's a, there's not a lot of laws in the felony world. I can't think of any other law like that in the felony world. Maybe so in Indiana we have something called a habitual traffic violator, which means you get a felony for having a bad driving record, which is. It, it, that's a pretty tough thing because most of the time it's somebody that's gotten a bunch of tickets and maybe had a DUI or two somewhere in their past that has become a habitual traffic violator mainly because they're poor. Now they've got a felony on the record. These same kind of thing happens to them, right? Right. They can't, right. They can't rent a house. They can't <clears throat> find a job. And then you're just perpetuating the problem. Most states have done away with a lot of the felony driving levels in indiana it's become way more harder to become a habitual traffic officer too so indiana is making progress in that but i think that but the people that are already there are, are fucked they're still having to deal with it right and that's why you hit that level five felony it really becomes the problem because you were really stuck with that and people don't know in indiana when you expunge a crime above a level five felony it actually stays on your record still and it just says expunged next to it so to act like people are going to treat not that use like that it's against not there you. Is, yeah. that's a fallacy, not not reality. So sure.
1: the federal government, they signed this into law first, but currently we're talking about Indiana. So we will get into what the federal government did shortly after this. But in 2018, Governor Holcomb signed into law Senate Bill 52, which was referred to as the 2018 Farm Bill. It legalized low THC cannabis. This law allows anyone in Indiana to buy, sell, and possess CBD oil that meets packaging requirements and has no more than 0.3% THC. This also kind of opened the door for Delta-8 to exist. That's why at many gas stations, vape stores, uh, even like holistic remedy stores, you'll see them selling Delta-8, Delta-9, and CBD in Indianapolis, despite it being explicitly illegal. CBD isn't, but Delta-9 definitely is. Delta-9 is like your typical... It's regular THC. Yeah, it's regular THC. Like when you, if you were to buy a blunt off a dealer or something, it is most unless you're getting fucked, it is going to be delta nine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so they've created this uh, this loophole. We'll get into a little bit about that, and and the stores are now using this 03 percent to manipulate what is allowed because it can't cont- it can't contain more than point three percent of of uh, THC. Uh, what they've done, though, is you, you create a larger-weighted item, yeah. you know, a gummy, for instance, make it really dense, make it really heavy. 0.3% of that is enough to get you high. yeah. And then it's 0.3% per serving. So, okay. You may have 50, 10 servings in it. 50 gummies in a bag, you eat five of them. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're going to feel it. So that's how this, this, this farm bill came around. And and Indiana passed it. It was mimicking the the federal law. That's how these companies you see on the street that are, uh, they'll say CBD, and then they have a marijuana leaf next to it. Uh, And then you go in the store and you see all this stuff that's got, says Delta 8, Delta 9. Yeah. Delta 9 is what really
1: caught me off guard because that is explicitly illegal and 100% opening themselves up to get raided. But what is CBD, hemp, Delta 8, and 9? And how are the stores getting away with selling something illegal? So CBD. And just so you know, Devin's got some knowledge in this area. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> CBD is the non intoxic and non intoxicating chemical found in marijuana plants that gives the pain relief, relaxation, and cancer fighting properties that marijuana is known to have. CBD that it, 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 it's not intoxicating at all. You do not get high from it. You originally they were well, they still are, but before all of this you know became more legalized and more accepted. There were CBD ointments. um, There were CBD lip balms, even CBD deodorant, which I had, which was fucking terrible. Um, CBD toothpaste. And it's really good. Whoever
0: thought CBD deodorant was going to work.
1: It was terrible. It like didn't even stick to your skin.
0: Did did it have the odor of marijuana? No. Okay.
1: No, it does CBD like is odorless. Okay. So it's really good for like older people. You know, if you're dealing with cancer or pain, CBD is basically like all the positive effects, whereas you're not getting high off that's of it. Intoxication. Yeah, so if you don't like the high from it, that's but you want the positive effects. That's how you can get that. Um And that's actually yeah. Where you don't the
0: necessarily door. want to be uh, sitting on your cancer deathbed or battling cancer, and then get hit with a a paranoia high yeah that would be bad news start thinking about how you're about to
1: die or something right that's and that's actually what got the older crowd's foot in the door the people that were historically always anti you know weed and stuff uh because they realized that the cbd and weed in general helps their pain more than painkillers did and i had a severe hospital visit i had snapped my leg And they were doping me up as much as they could, and none of the painkillers worked. But when someone gave me some edibles, it was a godsend. All my pain went away. Of course, it probably worked in tandem with the pain pills and made the pain pills stronger, but it was definitely a godsend. So weed is classified. There's marijuana and there's hemp. Marijuana comes from the female plant, which buds, and the buds are the weed that you know of typically. Hemp is the non-flowering male marijuana plant. Only the female plants produce buds. And when pollinated by a male plant, the female plant's buds will have seeds inside of them. So if you are a smoker and you've ever had um, like seeds in your weed, it's because a male plant had pollinated it. And they, they can be far apart. So back in like the 1800s, hemp was actually legal. And they use it to make the strongest rope that you can. They use it in tires. It's a very strong, durable material. And the like twine business and the rope business, like that actually use twine and things like that. They were going out of business, the people that used horse hairs and all that. And they had lobbied for hemp to become illegalized and not to be able to use any marijuana products. Uh, and then when hemp started becoming more legalized, farmers out in Oregon, Washington, California, Colorado, they could now grow the male plant instead of the female plant and not risk getting raided by police. And because they're not female plants, the the and they're not intoxicating, the bar of, you know, like you may still be able to grow female plants, but the bar you have to meet is still really high. And if you fuck up on anything or you overlook anything, even if you put the wrong tag on the wrong plant, everything can be seized. So... This was a very prevalent problem, especially during the pandemic, where it'd be a farmer and he has like 20 acres and he's growing all female plants. Well, he's downwind from someone above him who maybe has four or five acres and they're growing all male plants and then their plants get pollinated and virtually for a farmer that is like career destroying or at least season destroying because now all your plants have seeds in them and you're selling them for a tenth of what you normally would because nobody right. wants seeds in their plants. It also makes your plants more heavy. Seeds are way heavier than the bud itself. So for the connoisseur, you're getting less because ultimately you're not smoking the seed. And just it, it's just waste. Yeah, it's waste. So you may get a gram, but by the time it's all broken up, you actually have like 0. 0.6. So you're almost getting half of what you paid for.
0: And I assume in that business, selling it in that form is just going to establish a bad reputation. Exactly. Right.
1: Like you will lose out on all your clientele. And like I said, hemp can be used in a litany of products. One thing that I don't agree with it being used in is drinks. They put it in drinks a lot, even though it really kind of has no benefit, maybe very slight benefit. It just fucking tastes nasty. And don't ever have like a, a hemp drink. Even THC drinks are pretty nasty, but at least you'll get high from it. And it it contains very little to none of the psychoactive chemicals that are found in the female plant, such as CBD and THC. At least that is what the legislators thought when they pushed this law, and this is when they were told. When it started to become more legal, and this is something that we will touch on more when we start talking about the federal laws, uh, technology increased. And they were able to synthesize Delta-8 and Delta-9 and CBD from the hemp plant. Because it's in that plant so in such little amounts, it requires a lot of the plant. But when you're turning it into rope or you're turning it into whatever you need to, a lot of it goes to waste. No longer does that go to waste because you can crush it, synthesize, and get what, all those chemicals out of it until it becomes just plant material with nothing in it. Right. So Delta-8 is a chemical found in THC that provides the high feeling and the psychoactive effect. Delta-8 is synthesized from the male plant. You can get it from the female plant as well, but if you're already there, you might as well use Delta-9. And since the numbers of Delta-8 in male plants are very little, this requires the person to synthesize it to have a shitload of them. And Delta-8 is a lot weaker than Delta-9. It still gives the user a high, somewhat being similar to Delta-9 THC, but you have more clear-headedness. It's more of a body high, uh, less anxiety, less paranoia. It's a lot more chill there's been a lot of old folks that I've known who are like always anti-weed, but you can get, they, they like Delta-8 and you can get Delta-8 uh, in actual like marijuana form, like the plant form, and it looks like weed. The only difference is it smells kind of like leaves and it tastes like leaves. It does not taste good. Um. As a result, it's generally synthesized or extracted in a lab to pr- produce commercially usable quantities because... You know, a single plant may give you a negligible amount, and you need a lot if you're going to be a distributor. This is how Delta-8 gummies and weed products have flown under the radar as legislators were under the impression that there were no psychoactive benefits from the male plant at all. Only through increases in technology and synthesizing procedures was Delta-8 able to be procured in sizable quantities. And that's how these loopholes kind of exist.
0: You've got to wonder who… As they were passing these laws and and kind of putting them in front of the legislature and getting them uh, through the system, there had to be some lab guys, some real nerdy science guys that were really into marijuana that were just like kind of seething and being like... yeah they don't know what they're doing. We're about to exploit the shit out of this. Yeah.
1: So Delta nine is the typical psychoactive chemical found mostly in female plants. And is the same substance that is typically associated with marijuana uses. Like if you go to buy buy weed, what you're buying, as long as it's not specifically Delta eight, it's mostly going to be Delta nine. That is the stereotypical weed that everybody knows about. That's what gives you that high feeling and is much stronger than Delta eight. It is the only chemical that people actually wanted up until recently. Uh, and now they've even come up with something, which is delta-10, which I've never tried, but supposedly it's a lot, lot stronger. After, is that just
0: going to be a higher concentration as I mentioned delta-10, or is it actually a different substance? It's, it's ac- well,
1: it's not a different substance, but it's a different chemical. It has a, a slightly different chemical structure than delta-9-THC. But bound to that chemical are more of the of the bonds that give you a higher it psychoactive the intoxicating effect. Effects. Yeah, and it gives it to you quicker. So, I haven't tried it yet. Some people say it's really good, some people say it's way too much and the paranoia is like off the charts. Yeah, off the charts. So, I don't know if I ever would. Uh, but after discovering that Delta-8 is much weaker and much more mellow, many people and older people specifically switched entirely to that because it takes a lot to induce some anxiety and paranoia with delta eight, and like I have a delta eight dab pen, and it's perfect for like if I want to eat but I'm not hungry, that thing will make me hungry like instantly, and I, and I won't get high from it. I make it like a little bit of a dry mouth, but that's really about it. When Holcomb signed into the farm bill that allowed CBD and delta eight products that didn't have more than 03 percent THC content, manufacturers exploited a loophole. That allowed them to sell higher quantities of the chemical in their products. And this is what Brad was talking about. They made their gummies larger and heavier. so And, like I said, serving size. So they made their serving sizes, quote-unquote, smaller. Because if, if you buy a bag of gummies from the gas station, right. it'll say, like, every 10 pieces is a serving. right. Well, now these places are saying every one piece is a serving. Right. So if you have 50 of them, that's 50 servings.
0: Which, I mean, for a recreational user isn't wrong I yeah mean, it's, it's not one, wrong one piece maybe what they use yeah exactly so so take that though and make it where because of the weight of that one piece you can put an amount in it that's intoxicating right and they also get away with
1: selling delta Night. now granted they 100% could still have their doors kicked in but by synthesizing it from the male plant now of course this is not regulated none of these are regulated by the FD- fda because it's federally illegal so there is no real guarantee that the packaging is entirely accurate
0: not only that, but... Well, and it's become so overwhelming now to catch up. I mean, think about the uh, the amount of resources they'd have to put to to, to test every yeah. product it, that's out there now. It'd be absurd.
1: Uh, it, 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 it would just. I know for a fact that there are places selling Delta 9 that didn't come from a male plant. It probably came from the female plant because right. it's a lot cheaper to do it's so. It's easier
0: to do, cheaper to do. And, exactly. And how are you really... How would you know? Well. Unless you go to the manufacturing site.
1: Well, so the specifically in like California, well, really all places that have it legal, from the, as soon as you have a seed, you have to mark and label and register every single seed. Right. And the ones that make it to maturity, you have to mark and register every single one. And okay. they have a tag that follows them their entire life, all the way to when they get packaged. And when that gets packaged, that same tag sticks to all of them. So there's a number that they can type in. And it'll show the whole lifespan of that plant. So you know where it came from. Ex- like instantly. And that's a I lot of times. I guarantee that's not happening everywhere, though. Oh, well, not in, in – in, if, if they are legal business, if they don't do stuff like that, they can get everything seized from them. Because at that point, they are now considered a black market retailer.
0: Is that like – State to state, or I mean, that's not. There's still no federal law that says that, so, so it has to
1: be state to state. This is a big problem with uh, marijuana businesses that are legit and want to branch out to other states. Is the states' laws vary wildly, right? And what you may do in California makes the
0: pro- manufacturing process way more expensive,
1: right? What you may do in California could be super illegal in Colorado because you maybe missed this one tag, or there was one step that you missed. Right. With marijuana plants, you can cut off the stems and replant them, and it'll grow into a new plant. Even if you do that, you have to mark what it came from. So uh, the procedures behind this is super stringent, super nitpicky, and it changes just enough between state by state to where if you sold something in Colorado and it was completely legal in your state but not in Colorado, you could be federally rated. Because you are now We're not meeting their standard, you're
0: not meeting their standard. Yeah, that's that's a that's kind. I mean, I would make that kind of akin to gun laws, right? Right. I mean, in Indiana, you don't have to have a gun a permit, a gun permit anymore, right? Obviously, I think New York you have to have a permit, you have to register your gun, you have to do all this shit, and so making it very difficult. Now it's it's a little bit different because the manufacturers. Well, I mean, there probably are some limitations on what kind of guns you can sell in those states, too. But the manufacturers largely are not going to be impacted by this. This has the, has the I guess, the consumer impact and that the product may not be legal in the state they're in. Also, the manufacturing uh, impact in that every state has all these different requirements. On something that's a fungible thing like a plant, um, it would make the process way more expensive. There's, there's a, 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 an extreme amount of money pouring into the government right now yeah. trying to get them to be more uniform in this.
1: Well, and that's, that's the biggest complaint right now is that it prices out the same people who have always been doing this and now want to do it legally. Right. Because the only way to get that money is to have some serious monetary backing or – To sell it illegally until you have the money. So, for example, in California, it can take up to 10 years to get your marijuana's license. You have to pay $80,000 to get that license. Right. In that same time frame, you have... That
0: makes it corporate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In that same time frame, you have to have the land the entire time. You have to have the buildings. You have to have the materials. Right. You just can't be growing anything. So, because they're going to come check on your stuff. Huge upfront investment. Right. And, like... Uh, Business Insider did one where these people waited four years, and by the time that they had been given their license, they were like one point four million in the hole. Sure. So this-
0: well, that seems, I mean, that for a state that's so liberal, that seems like sort of a a crazy mindset. Because you would think that you know the liberal uh, mindset in California would be to how do we help the little guy. Uh, where do we put them on the map? But when you make those kind of strenuous um, requirements, uh, then you're making it where the big guys are just poised to sweep in and take it over.
1: I will say, like, I'm pretty center on this political spectrum, but liberals have never been for the little business owner.
0: <laughs> no, well, they've always wanted to price out. Well, regulation. Like, I mean, California, the regulations make it, That's... True. I mean, I remember, Devin knows I'm a big Bill Maher fan. Um, He was installing um, some, I think it was solar panels on his property in California, and it took him like five years. Yeah, For personal use, solar to help the environment use electricity. And I think it was something like 30 different inspectors came out over that time period to approve it. So in the name of safety, uh, and you create so much governmental red tape, Remember, tape costs a lot of money. Yeah, you know, so it's gonna, it's gonna gear it toward corporations being the ones that are successfully gonna be able to to do it, and that's happening. Yeah, and there are massive corporations that are setting up shops in all the places where it already is legal. They're poised to swipe it swoop in as soon as it's legal in new states and, and set up shop within literally within a month. Right? They've already got the manufacturing place. They just need the storefronts. Well, that
1: that's the thing is a lot of these vape stores and CBD stores, delta eight stores, they're just placeholders for sure.
0: As soon as it, as soon as it's made legal, they're going to be little a full gonna get crushed. Yeah. or they're going to have to. Yeah, they're going to sell out to uh, you know, a company will come in and buy them all out and, and make that their storefronts. Right. So part of it is because
1: of the population density of California, right? Like they have a higher population than like con- countries, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like California was like the eighth largest economy in the world, right? just itself. Uh, so, you know, more people takes more time and more governmental workers, which increases the cost for the government. So they need more right. funding. So it's just an, a negative feedback loop. So, I would hope that something in Indiana wouldn't be like that, but it may maybe even worse with how like
0: cautious we have been no absolutely and and so especially in Indiana, like a place like where we're at where we are now surrounded by states that are uh, have made it legal I mean it's it's gonna be when it once it hits, it's gonna be like a light switch. It'll, it'll swoop oh, in, yeah. in seconds,
1: like within a season.
0: And we'll take a little look at what the federal government has done. Um, everything's a little bit more murky. They passed a version of the farm bill that is basically identical to um, what Indiana passed. It really, federal government passed it first. Yeah, as happens often, just try to be uh, consistent with what the federal government's doing and drug enforcement type stuff. Um, they passed a mirroring law again. It's uh, Delta Eight. Um, ba-
1: basically, all hemp derived cannabinoids canna- are legal. So as long as you
0: keep it below the point three percent, exactly point of THC, three tenths of a percent, yeah, of the THC of the Delta Nine THC, yes, which is how again <laughs> same same sort of deal. That's how they're getting around it, making the. The weight be more, and then the point three percent can be enough to yeah.
1: Delta too eight high. and CBD
0: are not constrained by that point three percent. It's only delta nine. So they, you know, the DAs tried to play a little bit of catch up. Um, it, it, was, it became real popular there for a while. For synthetic marijuana uh, was out there, and and that was seen as initially being legal. And so that was sort of yeah spice yeah. This terrible. Stuff. And so the DA came out classified the synthetic version of THC as a controlled substance.
1: My dad used to smoke that shit, and it would literally make him have psychotic breaks. I would never smoke that and never have—like, I didn't care if I had to smoke it to live or something. I would not do it.
0: Yeah, it's fallen out of favor since they've created found all these other loopholes. Um, they did make an exception again for hemp, but that's just by the nature of it. It just hasn't really played out a whole lot. Um the THC levels in the extraction process, and Devin, you may be able to explain this a little better, better than I can, but during the, the process of going through it, can't actually exceed that 0.3% amount, but it's what ends up in the final product, right? Right, but
1: any, at any point, the DEA may argue that Delta-8 is an analog of marijuana rather than hemp because it, they say Delta-8 is an analog of hemp, not marijuana, which yeah. is why it's legal.
0: And through the whole process, it's supposed to stay below 0.3%. Well, right?
1: it says that they it can temporarily exceed 0.3% with the current, like, rules that the DEA has in place for itself. But they may also, at some point, use the temporary increase in Delta-9 THC levels to go after producers when it's at more than 0.3% at this time. And this would be a more st- significant issue in states that have not yet legalized recreational marijuana or for those manufacturers shipping Delta-8 products cross state lines. The DEA has also promulgated a new rule change that classifies all synthetically derived tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC, as a controlled substance. Now, keep in mind, synthetically derived, that is
0: Delta A. So that's the thing with all these laws and what we're talking about and and how the loopholes are there and and, and not. The federal agencies that enforce these can always sort of – create some rules in terms of how that law is interpreted. Now, the
1: rule does not define synthetically derived, and the courts haven't even interpreted what that rule is. That's the thing.
0: So the the federal agencies enforce it. They'll at some point decide, or maybe they won't. Who knows? It's federal, especially. They've sort of just stayed out of it. Um, But at some point, they may decide, we're going to interpret it this way. And then until a court hears it and decides, you know, the higher courts hear it, and they decide, yeah, your interpretation is right or wrong, It's just going to be kind of the whim of the the federal agency. Right. So this is hitting back on the topic
1: of how, like, small business owners for marijuana, it just just makes shit harder for them. Because since it's still federally federally illegal, many banks won't allow legal marijuana companies to store their funds there. And because of this growth... Or because of this, the growth of the legal marijuana sector is nowhere near its potential, and nearly all transactions are done with cash. Now, some sellers will use cards, but they do it through like third-party apps that uh, will take a significant chunk from them. Like instead of three percent, it may be like ten.
0: And well, and it's going to restrict their business too. In terms of banks, are going to be hesitant to loan money on it when there's so many so no. Or, no.
1: Yeah, and it also keeps prices high. Uh, it's very dangerous because you have to just always have cash going around. Uh, And it creates risks for workers and communities that could have more robberies going on. In the Golden Triangle, or the Green Triangle is what it's called, uh, it's in up in Humboldt County and this other county in California. It's basically like one of the biggest producers of weed. It's all farmers and stuff. Up there, gas stations literally have money counters on the counter because they are so used to farmers coming up and giving them tens of thousands of dollars in cash for their fuel, for their water, for their fertilizer, things like that. So literally like... That's what they're being paid in. Yeah. So like there was one time I went up there and they just had like three money counters sitting right by the cash register. That's crazy. And that is what they would use. And there'd be like big tanker trucks
0: showing up. So anti the economy in every other way right right going away from cash in every other way there's been a lot of
1: proposals that have been made to try and legalize marijuana in the federal level and he, there's a few of them such as the more act or the more act and the safe banking act act so on may 28th 2021 representative gerald nadler from new york he's a democrat reintroduced by jerry jerry is he actually? He does actually go by. Virginia. Oh, okay. You know, him I, I do know,
0: I don't know him personally, but I do see him on TV because he's actually a pretty well known. Um, representative. I mean, he's out of New York, so obviously they get more attention. Obviously, he also has a vested interest, or his constituents do, with it being um, uh, illegal at some levels in New York. So, so the
1: MORE Act it stands for Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement. If enacted, the legislation would end the federal prohibition of cannabis by removing it from the Controlled Substances Act and ending criminal pen- penalties under federal law. The U.S. House of Representatives voted in favor of the Moore Act in a 228 to 164 vote in December of 2020 or 2021. But this vote marked the first time in half a century that a chamber of Congress voted on a bill to end the federal prohibition of marijuana, and it did not go through the
0: Senate. Senate just didn't take it up. I think that was still one. When- uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, Republicans were in charge of the Senate so they can set their own agenda. They didn't even set it up for a vote. Uh, Democratic-led House passed it at that point. The vote was largely along party lines. Um, but that's sort of what a lot of the states are waiting for, Is in Indiana's governors even said, we'll take up the legalization of marijuana when the federal government does. Right.
1: On April 21st, 2021, which is ironically the day after 420, the secure and fair enforcement banking act or the safe banking act sponsored by rep representative ed perlmutter once again democrat from colorado was approved by the house in a bipartisan vote of 321 to 101 so that one like really did well it previously passed the house
0: republican votes in it to be at that level
1: right uh it had previously passed the house in september 2019 in a 3 to 1, 321 to 103 vote because the April 21st that was when it was approved by the house the senate version was introduced on March 23rd 2021 and is sponsored by senators Jeff Merkley D from Oregon and Steve Danes surprisingly a Republican from whatever MT is what state is MT Montana Montana with 180 current co-sponsors but that still has not been voted yet
0: It's a good sign though that it's going to have a
1: decent chance so this is this is when we talk about like the promise that federal government has made not to prosecute dispensaries and stuff. In 2009, under under Obama, a memorandum to federal prosecutors in the 14 states that make some allowance for the use of marijuana for medical purposes, the Justice Department said that it was committed to the, quote-unquote, efficient and rational use of its resources and that prosecuting patients and distributors who 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 are in clear and unambiguous compliance with state laws did not meet that standard. Broken down, this means that the Justice Department will not prosecute marijuana business owners who are in compliance with their state laws. Now, keep in mind, these state laws are very easy to break. You could just forget to do one thing, and even though you're doing everything else right, the feds will come raid you. This has been a memorandum since 2009, and every president since then have abided by it. But any day, they could remove that memorandum.
0: Like every other presidential order. Exactly. And you bet your ass they are going to come raid yourself. Uh, uh, Interestingly, though, in in the presidential discussions that have happened— there's no discussion of this at all. I mean, there's no one that's like a super alt-right conservative that's being like, I'm going to come in and change it. We're going to make these federal marijuana laws. I mean, obviously, Trump was just in, in office for four years. He didn't touch it. Um,
1: I think it's kind of taboo for them to touch. They're afraid right, sink well, them.
0: well, and yeah, why would you? You're going to piss off a decent amount of people, a decent amount of business. I, I, I mean, it's it's almost a technicality at this point that the federal government hasn't. Passed the uh, marijuana laws in a way that uh, would make it legally federally to open it up to the states to decide what they want to do. What's
1: really fucked up is like imagine you are getting paid I don't know fifteen dollars an hour working in a dispensary. You are just working the front. You are not the the runner of anything. You are not doing anything big. You are literally just doing small transactions all day. And one day the DEA decides that you are no longer like they're. They that they they're going to raid you, or the federal government decides that they're no longer going to abide by this memorandum and they remove it. Even those small hourly workers, they'll all get arrested and charged.
0: Yeah, that's that's why it's I don't know. It just it's just doesn't even make sense for the for that to even be out. And plus, the DEA's. I mean, you've got fentanyl and heroin and all right. the stuff going on with it's causing mass deaths all across this country. They've got bigger fish to fry, right? They just do. Um, we'll take a real brief look. There's just a kind of a history of um, the cannabis laws and, and how it's it's spread, changed over you know the early years all the way back into 1850, the 1800s. Okay. And so. so, surprisingly, in 1850, cannabis
1: was sold over the counter and was commonly used as a treatment for sundry illness sundry illnesses, sundry. including but not limited to cholera. Alcoholism, opiate addiction, and convulsive disorders. At the same time, I mean, back
0: they, then they were just trying shit. Yeah, you're I saying, mean they gave babies try this thing. They gave babies <laughs> opium to <like, laughs> make them go to bed and right, shit. Right.
1: But I mean, it's a lot more progressive than it is now. In 1936, every state had passed a law to restrict possession of cannabis, eliminating its availability as an over-the-counter drug. Now, we won't get into this, but there was an FBI. Uh, the head of the FBI. He was actually for cannabis and had first said that, like, all these positive things about it. Well, he was at risk of losing his job because <laughs> they weren't enforcing enough drug laws. They they, they weren't doing enough. They right. weren't bringing enough funding. He saw a way to get that funding and to keep his tenure as going after marijuana. And so then he started promulgating the – uh, marijuana makes... Self-preservation. Right. Makes black men rape white women and things like that. He would, it, right. Saying all these things that were... Creating in, a lot of fear. direct, well, Directly counter to what he had said originally. Right. Uh, in 1937, the marijuana, they made it with an H. And they did this because they wanted it to sound more Mexican. Right. So it would sound foreign and breed more fear in its citizens. That is a real thing. Of 1937, it was passed to prohibit all non-medical use of cannabis in the united states however it also limited medical use due to fees and regulatory restrictions that imposed a significant burden on doctors prescribing cannabis the american medical association opposed the marijuana attacked a tax act of 1937 without its success in the 70s uh, the comprehensive drug abusive
0: so they created pr- the different uh, classes of drugs yes yes. Yeah. schedules and it, it, it Hit every drug, including marijuana. Yeah,
1: and so that was in the 1970s. Title two of the Act, the Controlled Substances Act, established categories varying from Schedule one, the strictest, classific- strictest classification, to Schedule five, the least strict. Schedule one means that it has no medicinal benefit. Cannabis was placed in the Schedule one category, thereby prohibiting its use for any purpose, which is complete bullshit. That's just what 50 years ago. In 1995, MPP was founded in January 1995 and is the largest organization in the U.S. that's focused solely on ending cannabis prohibition. In 1996, California voters approved Proposition 215, which everybody pretty much knows about, which legalized medical cannabis. However, the— crazy that was that long ago. It's crazy how quick they did it. Like, they were directly against the federal government at this point. However, the Clinton administration opined its opposition— to the proposition and threatened to revoke the prescription-writing abilities of doctors who recommended or prescribed the drug. In 2000, in response to the Clinton administration's aversion to Proposition 215, a group of physicians challenged this policy as a violation of First Amendment rights and in September 2000 prevailed in the case of Conant v. McCaffrey, which allows physicians to recommend but not prescribe medical cannabis. 2005, during the Bush administration, agents were enforcing federal laws against state-operated medical cannabis cultivators and patients. In June 2005, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the federal government's ability to enforce federal laws in states that have legalized medi- medical cannabis in the case Reich v. Gonzalez or Reich something like that. It's R-A-I-C-H versus Gonzalez. In 2009... In the first term of the Obama administration, Attorney General Eric Holder stated that only medical cannabis providers who violate both federal and state law would be targeted for prosecution. Deputy Attorney General David Ogden issued a memorandum with guidelines for federal enforcement while also largely affirming the earlier stated hands-off approach for state legal medical cannabis activities. In 2011, in response to raids by the federal government and in an attempt to clarify the Obama administration's stance on medical cannabis, Deputy Attorney General James M. Cole Issued a memorandum specifically noting that the Ogden memo protections only applied to individuals and not commercial operations. In August 2013, the U.S. Department of Justice issued a second memorandum that offered guidance to prosecutors and law enforcement on where to focus cannabis enforcement efforts. The enforcement priorities included preventing distribution of cannabis to minors, preventing cannabis revenue from funding criminal enterprises, gangs, or cartels, Preventing cannabis from moving out of states where it is legal, preventing use of state legal cannabis as sales as cover for illegal activity, preventing violence and use of firearms in growing or distributing cannabis, preventing drugged, drunk, drugged driving or exacerbation of other adverse public health consequences associated with cannabis use, preventing growing cannabis on public lands, and preventing cannabis possession or use on federal property. You can read this memo, which was rescinded by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. It's still available to be read. And he had rescinded it in January 2018, so not too far ago. No, in 2014, the Rohrabacher Ro- 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 Far Amendment—that's a hard word—included in the spending bill prohibits the Justice Department from spending funds to interfere with the implementation implementation of state medical cannabis laws. The amendment has been subs- subsequently included in a series of spending bills.
0: And that brings us to the the two laws that we had already talked about: the Moore Act, right, uh, which is still out there. May, may still get a reading at some point um, you know it's election year so taking on an issue like this is probably not going to happen uh, in the next year and a half because um, both parties are going to tread lightly on anything yeah. that could be even seen remotely controversial but perhaps depending on I mean it may not even matter which president or party wins perhaps that's something they'll take up in the in the next legislative session I fucking hope so I mean uh, even the Republicans of you know they they reverse Roe v. Wade under the idea of states' rights. So, why not take the federal out of it and let the states decide? You know, if you want to be in a conservative state that still takes a tough, a tough uh, stance on approach. marijuana, then you know, all right, choose to live there. But if you want to be in a state that's uh, more California's approach, Michigan's approach, whatever, you have that option too. So, we'll see how all that plays out. Um, that wraps up this episode on uh, the marijuana laws and. Uh, where they're at, how you're able to get gummies in Indiana and all those good things. Thanks for joining us. If you like our podcast, feel free to give us a shout-out and uh, share it amongst your friends. We'd appreciate that. And Until next time, this has been Pocket Law Talks. See ya.